Well, if you've been counting, it's episode 31. This is dropping on day number 31 of the last month of this ridiculous year. For some people, probably very few, it was good. For many of us, it was... (laughs) But if you are listening to this on this day, not only do we thank you, but we welcome you. We're glad you made it along with us. And I do mean made it. I'm Unqua Sonia. He's Brian Albin. Welcome back to Award Tour, the podcast. Once again, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, hosted on Anchor, where you can leave us a voice message, and of course, available on the big ones, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is our year-end show. We'll recap a lot of stuff. There might actually be some positive news in here, too, but of course, we would be remiss if not to do the mental health check. You can probably imagine that uh, we're kind of sucking wind a little bit, but we're here. Right, Brian? We are almost at the finish line of 2020, and there is just this part of me that keeps hoping that we will wake up on January 1st and somehow magically all the problems of 2020 will have just disappeared with the year. <laughs> it's not going to work like that. <laughs> but there's just this small part of me that's like, make this something like a movie. You know, like, let, let's day after tomorrow this. You've seen the day after tomorrow? I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot about it. I don't want to, like, spoil the movie. I'm not going to watch it. Spoil the movie. But, like, (laughs) it's this movie about just this absolutely, like, devastating global warming-induced storm Mm -hmm. that brings, like, such a wild polar vortex that if you are caught outside in the polar vortex for, like, three seconds, you basically freeze up and die. And, like, it can freeze doors and just take it, like, it, it, just a crazy, crazy storm. It unleashes, like, probably hundreds of inches of snow and kills some ungodly amount of, like, the world population. But when the protagonists reunite and father finds son again and they're flying in some, like, government chopper to safety... Like, they share this big smile, and everybody's sharing this big smile together as if, like, okay, it's all over now. And, like, there's the part of you that's being conned into thinking you should feel good for these characters, and then there's the part of you that's like, this is not over now. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, what just... Y'all have just been... (sighs) relocated from new york city to mexico for the who knows how long future is like the world's about to have to try and pick up the pieces of everything that's been lost but we were supposed to just like magically you know move on oh yeah we're good we're good that's what i feel like i'm hoping for will happen on january 1st is there's just some like brainwashing that makes us feel like everything's okay but obviously that's not gonna happen but how are you doing i I'm torn because I feel exactly the same as you. 
Like, I'm not sure if it'll be something that maybe at 12.01 of 2021, it's a quick click and, oh, my God. Or if we're just going to sort of, I wonder if it'll even be worse. I wonder if people will even feel worse because the calendar year has changed and nothing else really has. Personally, I am I'm in a better space than I thought I was. Um, what stunk for me is that I watched a lot of people that I really respected and I was close to go through some really hard times. I went through a few of my own. But I actually took the opportunity to really work on my mental health. I used the opportunity to really uh, confront a few demons in my life. And I'm really just doing my best to better myself. So even though it was a terrible year, I, I guess it wasn't all bad. I guess that's the best way I can put it. And perhaps we will uh, go into some greater detail along those lines later. As part of our tell me something, don't you? I who let me talk? Tell me something <laughs> I don't know. Segment will feature some of the silver linings that came out of 2020. But being that this is a recap show of the year, it just seems like we have to just start simple and talk about our biggest story of 2020. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, where do we even start? Think of all the things that happened in this year. Anything related to COVID, of course. We had basketball go on strike. We had two professional franchises finally ditch their Native American names that served more as epithets than actually honoring Native Americans. And neither one of them really had a plan for what they were going to navigate their new name to when they did so. So much has happened. It's been a wild year. I think the biggest story out of all of these, you know, I was thinking of saying it was the NBA players, Simply because it's really the first time we had seen labor go on strike in the middle of a season under these unprecedented conditions. But I would actually say that the biggest stories are the two name changes and the lack of planning thereof. And part of the reason why I'd call those the biggest stories is it's the one thing that I expected to be handled the way that it was handled poorly but it's also the thing i didn't expect to see happen at all you know as we've confronted throughout this program white america does not very much confront its problems very well rather when white america is confronted with the fact that something that they deem sacrosanct is actually wildly offensive to other communities they sort of recoil they cop please, they make excuses. And we sort of saw that even on the way to this name change. Like Cleveland sort of happened out of nowhere. And then they decided to give 
the Cleveland Indians mascot name, a farewell tour. Meanwhile, Washington was sort of backed into a corner because of the sexual assault allegations against the franchise, where it felt like the only thing they could do to restore at least a little bit of goodwill was to actually get rid of the name, period. And neither of them actually had names ready. You know, like, as much as I understand that sometimes these things take time in in terms of an entire rebrand, it did kind of baffle me that they let everybody know that they were unprepared. Like, everybody. That felt like the sort of thing you'd keep in-house. But at the end of the day, that's also sort of how... That's also why I'm not surprised that it was handled the way that it was handled on both sides. Because that means that we were expecting them to be aware that we were expecting them to be ready for this when this really shows how they see these sorts of issues as something that's a quick fix without any actual internal work being done. Yeah, I don't know as much about what like the inside scoop was in Cleveland or what the thought process were. I don't I didn't follow that story as closely in large part because it was baseball related and I've just I I get pretty tuned out to baseball pretty quickly. <laughs> um with the Washington football team. The craziest part about it was you know We've heard essentially the reason why they are the Washington football team this year is because it was going to take the legal team too long to go through the licensing and all of the logistics of having a new name. And that it wasn't necessarily that a new name hadn't been picked yet or that they weren't down to a couple of finalists for a new name at the time when they decided to remove the previous name, but that it was an issue of they weren't going to be able to handle the legal stuff quick enough to have it up and ready for a new season. And at that point, they just wanted to make sure they had consistent marketing for this year before they figure out whatever they were going to do for next year. But what's crazy about that is it just feels like it's an insight into the window of the owner. Like if that was cuz in both cases you knew this was going to happen again eventually, right? Like the debate around these names has been there for years now. And Dan Snyder was putting up a fight, of course, and he wanted to keep the name. But if he had any sense of like sanity, or rationality, or an acceptance of reality. He would have known this was going to change one day. He was going to have to change the name. So the fact that they had not done their work on changing the name to the point where they already had licensing and trademarks done on whatever their next name was going to be almost speaks to the delusion of a Dan Snyder Mm. that he legitimately never was going to change that name on his own. And the only reason the name ended up get 
getting changed is essentially because there's been of sorts almost an attempted hostile takeover of that organization going on between a group of minority owners as well as sponsors who just simply don't want the man who's running that organization running it anymore. The delusion is what I find interesting. Because it's one thing to... It's one thing to simply just get caught with your pants down because you're unprepared. I don't feel like that was the issue. I don't feel like he was unprepared. I feel like he was unwilling to Mm. ever accept that that name was going to change as long as he was the owner of the team. And it's interesting, right? That for him, he had already been so reviled as an owner that anything revolving, involving the name rather was really just icing on the cake. Like that's like, that's crazy, right? Because at least with Cleveland's baseball team, right? At least they'd been to a couple World Series. At least they had had a modicum of success at a time when the only other ticket in time, of course, was LeBron James. But then again, you're going up against LeBron James. Like There's nothing you can really do about that. But it's weird that for Dan Snyder, it was this that he held so fast to, you know, like not the fact that he wasn't winning or that his meddling didn't work. It was the name. That's a little, that's a little nuts to me. I feel like one day we are going to have to find a psychologist or psychiatrist, whatever it may be, who can help explain to us, what it is about, and I feel like I'm singling out white people, but I I feel like this is a problem exclusive to white people. If I'm wrong, please throw examples at me, and it's like maybe it's just part of human nature. Period. But it feels, especially in this country, like it's it's a white person problem. What it is about white people and attachments to like symbols of nostalgia that don't actually have anything to do with you and that like you could quickly move on if you just accepted a new one right like Mm. because we've seen it in all facets of life I feel like this past year really in particular like the attachment to your football team being an inappropriate name for Native Americans or an attachment to your school being named after a founding father or an attachment. Like what there are so many attachments that I mean, we're GW, the name being colonials still like, I don't understand the attachment part because who cares? Like you're, you're, you're watching a game. The game in no way changes 
if your name is insert Native American name of the DC football team or Washington football team. Like, do you think any fan who has been watching the games this year for issues that are non-COVID related has taken any less enjoyment in the playing of a football game because it now says Washington football team on the scoreboard for you? I almost feel like they get more enjoyment out of it. Because it's quirky, and they could actually win the NFC East despite being 6-10. and Let's not get into any of that. Oh, my God. So, yeah, well, we, we, we definitely need to have somebody on at some point to explain the psychology of attachment to us, of symbols especially. It just makes no sense to me. Well, that is – put that on the list for bookings for next year because that, that'll be fun. I was torn between what to pick is the story of the year um, because I think in my heart, the story of the year was not just social justice movements in the NBA, but just in sports in general, how the topic of race was brought to the footsteps of sports figures in a way that it hadn't been before by what happened with George Floyd. Um, Because, you know, I, I think of the first thing we think of after this year as we reflect is what happened in the NBA, what happened in the WNBA. But I also think of what happened with like Drew Brees is a sense like a sort of a transformative moment in the way these conversations were approached. However, we did cover them also in depth at the time that I don't feel I feel like it's probably realistically entitled the story of the year for me. But the one that I feel like compelled to talk about again in this moment is how COVID-19 exposed just the absolute backwards thinking we have employed in our approach to college athletics. And I really can't get over the lack of enjoyment comparatively to the past that I have been able to take from collegiate athletics this past year because it just feels so dirty to think of these athletes being so very clearly set apart from the rest of their student bodies who at so many universities have been told to stay home to not report to campus because it was going to keep them safe to not participate in gatherings. And I'm not saying that that's what happened at every university. Some universities obviously filled up their campuses. Some partially opened their campuses. So be it. But in a lot of cases, you had universities that set a standard for their students based on what was going to be safe that then was not applied to the athletes because the athletes have to go out and pay the bills. 
all while being unpaid labor. It is something we have talked about as a society for a couple decades now. The issue of should student athletes be paid? What's the right model? You know, this year exposed that what we've been doing is dead wrong. And once again, just life. If what happened to Keontae Johnson a couple weeks ago doesn't put it in perspective for people, I I don't know what will. That this is just incredibly messed up. That kids are playing college sports right now through a global pandemic. When we don't have an answer for them of what might happen to them later in their life if they get it because they were being participants in their sport I think the biggest reason that this hurts I think of it on a personal level is because I've watched some of the like just yesterday right I I was watching Hulu And I'm seeing commercials for the college football playoff with Travis Etienne, a couple of other players. And I'm sitting there like, this commercial is cut better than the NFL's commercials in terms of highlighting the players, the programs, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sitting there like, wow. I wonder what their endorsement checks would look like if they were allowed. Like, I wonder what peace of mind they're actually granting their families. Because I don't care how well you play in each game. All bets are off until draft day. And even then, if we look at what Major League Baseball is doing to their salaries, like... It's crazy because if Major League Baseball, of all teams, which we know that across the big, the major four sports, their contracts are the most lucrative, there is such a dumping of assets from each team. Like the San Diego Padres have become paper World Series champs overnight with two trades. The U Darvish trade from a Cubs team only four years away removed from winning a World Series. They're dumping salary like crazy. And the Tampa Bay Rays do what they do. They sell their players to the highest bidder to get the most return possible. But even free agency coming into this year was at a low. So to have that happen on the professional level, And then watch these still non-professional but professional athletes do what they do on a daily basis with no assurance for the future whatsoever. I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, 
so the tough part for it for me is you know the the two counter arguments that I feel like you hear the three counter arguments that I think you hear a lot from people in regards to why it's fine that college college athletes are playing and that they should be playing. The first one that you'll hear come up is that the death rate from COVID-19 amongst people in that age group is so low. It is lower than when you hop into a car. It's lower than when you do yada, yada, yada. And it's like, cool, whatever, shut up, man. Like, that's not (laughs) the point. That's not how COVID works. And oh, by the way, just because you don't die doesn't mean you might not suffer consequences that you might not want to live with. If you had the choice of not having it or not, for example, if you're the type of person who's in their 20s, gets COVID and then can't taste anything or smell anything for months after getting it, you're probably not thrilled that you got it. You probably would have not wanted to have been in a situation where you got it. You probably would have rather been able to eat food since that's one of the only things we can take solace in doing in 2020. Like (laughs) For real. So that argument just like that is one where I hear it and I say, okay, the person speaking to me is ignorant. The second argument where we start to get closer to a real one is, you know, for players like where this is their career, they're not really going to school to get the degree like they are going to school to improve their professional prospects in this given sport, like losing a year is hurting them in that endeavor. I hear the argument and then I immediately come back and say exactly what percentage of all the division one athletes in the major revenue sports do you believe are going to play professionally in their sport? Cause it's still very small. We're probably talking about what 1% less um, and number two, had a season been shut down and nobody played a game this year in football or basketball, would it have hurt a few select individuals who might have risen in their draft classes by how they performed this year? Sure. Might it have uh, helped a few individuals who may have had poor performance years and seen their stock slide a bit sure maybe but for the most part whatever each team scouting department said before covid started for this year's upcoming drafts would have just held true for the most part would it have not so like it's not really affecting things all that much in regards to the professional prospects of these athletes and then the third one which is the toughest one to confront is the idea that The athletes want to play. And I think for the most part, that is true. For the most part, student athletes don't want to miss a year of their sport. They'd rather try to make it work than not. That's the toughest one to provide a retort to. But at the same time, it goes back to the answer of what happened at so many schools, right? Like 18 to 22 year old kids, if given the opportunity would rather be on campus and 
be placed into what is a more dangerous environment because they don't want their college years to be in their childhood bedroom learning virtually through Zoom. Of course they don't want that. But in many instances, the institution has been wise enough to understand that is what is necessary to keep the most people safe. The only difference is they can still charge 90 to 95%, if not 100% of regular tuition costs to not even bring the students on campus, whereas the institutions cannot collect the checks off the backs of the student-athletes if they are not there playing. And that is where the retort is. That is where it comes down to nothing more than... We can't call these student-athletes student-athletes anymore. Like, the game is up. To have the athletes playing through COVID, the jig, which was already weak on its foundations from the get-go, is completely gone. So if the jig's going to be completely gone, start paying them. Start insuring them. Start taking care of them the way you have to take care of your other employees because that is what they are when they're playing the college football playoff on New Year's Day in the middle of a pandemic when cases are at record highs in this country. Especially in places where those bowls are located. And they're letting fans in the building know this. I I just don't get it. I kind of want to bring up an aside to that because I think we'll see a false parallel between college sports and high school sports. Because speaking honestly, both both as 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 a coach and, and a fan, because I for those who haven't been following all that long, I do. Um, I do coach uh, at the high school level. I have found it very hard myself to be patient and I really do want to get our season started. And we're grateful enough to be in a state where even though the cases are rising, it's not quite as catastrophic as other areas of the country. But I think the principal difference, as ironic as it is, is that for those kids in high school, they need these years to actually get to that next level, be it college, if they're good enough pro or whatnot. And aside from select parts of the country, you're not making money off their backs. Like you're not selling their jerseys in the team store. You're not putting them up on billboards. The game is just a little bit different when it comes to that sort of argument. Because I feel like when it comes specifically to the NCAA, that's an argument you'll hear all the time. Like, what does it tell the high school kids that are missing a year? Because it would def. Because it, I know it's bad for college athletes, but if you're a high school athlete right now, it, I, I I feel even worse. For high school athletes, I mean, I think the same question comes into play. Like if. It's been deemed enough for the students to go to class. Then sure, they can also 
meet at their school to play their sport. I have a hard time saying, especially with high school, with high school, we at least have the ability to, you know, like I have less of a problem with say AAU or something happening where like it's truly an opt-in opt-out situation. Um, obviously there can be pay for play issues with stuff like AAU. Um, but for the most part, like, especially if we're talking about basketball, like a lot of teams, if they have a really talented kid who can't pay for the season, we'll figure it out for that kid. Mm -hmm. Um, so like to me, it's less of an issue with pay for play as it is with other sports like soccer, uh, you name it. Um, at least with high school, there's options outside of the school to like play organized sports. And it, I have less of a problem with that. Like that's, they are outside organizations. The linkage between school and athletics, even at the high school level to me, it's troubling if there is in any way uh, the gathering component, the lack of social distance component that sports bring in. If that is being allowed and yet other school activities are not because you know like probably the most covid dangerous school activity would probably be like choir or something um just because you know singing probably puts more particles shooting out farther mm -hmm. in a closed closer together area but, like, if the soccer team or the basketball team is being given an opportunity to participate together, then how can you say they can and the choral group can't? Good and question. on top of all that, how can you say that any of those groups can get together if we aren't having face-to-face -face class in classrooms? So, like, even at the high school level, I'm troubled by the idea of the exceptions that some places are willing to make. But at the college level, it just... The college level, they haven't even tried to hide the exception that has been made. And that is what is the most frustrating. Honestly, just like the institution of college in America has taken a big black eye this year between the fact we have tuition being charged at basically full price when people aren't getting fed their meals from the school when people aren't living at the school the whole education system took an L in this country in 2020 but it's time to segue into America's favorite moderately almost a year old no longer that new game show oh yeah tell me something i don't know and if you have been following along with the show all year long tell me something has been an opportunity for us to ask each other cultural questions it's been an opportunity to share things about our childhoods or just get into our general psyches uh, you know, you've you've probably learned some things about Judaism. 
You've probably learned some things about Nigerian culture. We've, we've tried to bring you what we can. But being that this is a recap show, so much of the talk about 2020 has been of the negative variety, and why wouldn't it be? We have lost, goodness gracious, I haven't kept track in the last week, so my guess of a number is probably off, but we've lost, what, nearly 350,000 American lives from a disease that popped up this year. We have had to deal with separation anxieties, is many of us haven't seen friends or family in person for a very long time. Uh, We have dealt with financial hardship that has come along with this pandemic. We have dealt with mental hardship. We've, We've dealt with a lot of everything as a collective people in 2020. We've had racial hardship that couldn't be ignored because we were all at home seeing it on TV. Like, we've had everything. But we want to flip the script for Tell Me Something because with all the negative, there have to be silver linings too. And there have to be uh, blessings that can be counted. So what we wanted to give you today, Tell Me Something I Don't Know, what were the silver linings that you took from 2020? So... On a superficial level, finally finished my studio. And it looks good. I I very much appreciate it. And I didn't realize how much of a big deal it was until one of my, my dear, dear friends who I'll be referring to even later on in the show. But um, she remarked, she was like, hey, listen, you just don't seem happy and i'm like well i'm not really and she's like well this is your place how much living have you really done in it because before covid hit i would usually find any and every reason to go visit people to leave to have a very full schedule and she was literally like i think if you were to really take the time and really love the space that you're in it will amaze you how much it will change everything around you. And not only did it change like, you know, living room, bedroom, all that sort of stuff, but it made this space that I get to record in every week with you a place where I could actually really make sure I dig in and really commit myself to really getting better. You know, whether it be delivery on this show, my other exploits, it really made me grateful almost that even though I lost money by not being able to do games this year and tape for that matter, that I was able to at least sort of stay sharp in little bits of ways, getting the new camera, the new lights like it was it's a risk. It's a risk because gratefully um, I was able to stay employed. But this was really something that made me feel like I wasn't going to be totally lost in a year that had already taken a lot from a lot of other people. And I think the uh, that was a superficial part. The non-superficial part is that it forced me to work a lot on myself because even though I wasn't really a 
social butterfly, I would drown myself in engagements and appointments, like I mentioned earlier. And I had to really take a good look at myself. And I had to figure out what was going on, you know, was able to seek uh, professional help as well. And it sort of made me more in tune. I hope it's made me a better person. But as terrible as this year has been for me, and I know for countless others, I've definitely left being a little bit more grateful this year, that is. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I know for me, along those same lines, the ultimate silver lining has been that this has been a year that has been so terrible for so many families. And I have been blessed enough to knock on wood here, but make it through 2020 without losing anyone. And that is like the ultimate blessing that can come out of COVID is if you are so fortunate is to have everyone in your life intact when this is all said and done, Mm -hmm. because it's not been promised in too many, like too many people who lost moms or dads or sons or daughters this year. It's just, it it gets hard when you think about it too closely. Uh, Just what this actually has done to so many people. Um, on the professional level, much like you, the, the silver lining for me is that this this show happened. It came together. It gave us Amen an opportunity to, to uh, get back to something that we had started before. And like, you know, we're very busy individuals. And so it was easy for it to slip by the wayside. And with life being shut down... It certainly opened up the time for us to get back to it. And by getting back to it on the regular basis that the early days of COVID allowed for, now that, I mean, I can speak for myself, like I'm, I'm back in the busyness. Um, which we're all, which I'm super actually happy about. Which is, which like is really, good in really its own way. About. It's good in its own way. But at the same time, like this is uh it's the same type of work situation that I allowed to make this fall by the wayside the first time and by getting as into it as we did during the early days of covid it's now something that feels more just a part of our regular lives and so it's more like something that it's a fact of life that this show is going to happen once a week. So we need to figure out when it can fit in. Right. Like that's that it, it feels different in that way than I think where we were three years ago. That might actually be the most gratifying thing that. Wow. 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 Like it, it gave us the, it gave us the opportunity to really commit to this thing in a way that wasn't there before. So that is uh that's a silver lining. That I've definitely taken along those lines, you know, COVID, like you said, sort of forced us all to invest in ourselves a little bit more. Like, you know, I, 
I have a mixer and a microphone now. Yes, I need sir. to uh need to get the subscription to Adobe Audition because GarageBand and Audacity have not been working for me. But, you know, well, we're going to keep investing and in trying to figure out ways to work from home more and have yes. to depend on studios less because I enjoy being home. And then, you know, the the, the final silver lining has been just the time being there to spend with family to like I went home more to Connecticut in 2020 than I probably had since before Emma moved to DC. Oh. Because wow. you know, when you're in a when you're in a long distance relationship, that certainly increases the incentive of getting home every month basically. But once that once that relationship lives with you, there's not as much of a incentive to drop plans to get back home on a regular basis. And with her working from home with me unemployed, we got to go home a lot more. And that was nice. It was nice to see family in limited capacities. It was nice to have some of those comforts of home. Uh, and it was it was nice to be able to do those things especially in a year where covid naturally made us feel far apart from everything uh and it was just a way to feel a little more connected even if it wasn't you know even if living at home wasn't like it used to be like even if it wasn't living in the same house as my parents or her parents like we were lucky enough that emma's had the sort of ensuite apartment at her dad's house. And so like we could go home and have our own space, not worry about getting our parents sick, but right. still actually be near them and see them. And that was a, a major blessing of 2020. Whew. I, I, I keep remembering to see this. Uh, I've seen this meme around and I forget the exact quote. I feel like if I look for it, I can find it in five minutes, but I'm not going to take five minutes of your time to do it. But it said that 2020 was the year of wanting more, but 2020 ended up being the year that we became more grateful for what we had. So something along those lines. And, you know, I'm wondering how long we can keep that. You know, because with the with the vaccine, hopefully having good effects and people wanting to get, quote, back to normal as soon as possible. I mean, we saw it with the protests this past summer, right? Everybody was in the throes of it. Everybody really wanted to get stuff done. Everybody wanted to be involved. Everybody was really anti-racist. And then life sort of got back to normal and people were copying the same pleas and making the same excuses all over again. I'm really hoping that there is some sort of a shift where people actually take to heart that nothing in this world is really promised to us. And it would behoove us to make sure that we actually remember that.
You've made it, folks. You have made it to the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. You have made it to the end of episode 31 of Award Tour, the podcast. But we can't sign off on this year on this show without bringing you the Award Tour for 2020. We've had some good ones over the course of the year. We have uh, made some fun references, but I know for one for today, I'm going to change it up a little bit because I had, I had somebody shout out to uh, Building JJ at GW, which was this weird little dorm uh, that I lived in sophomore year. JJ is part of a living and learning cohort. I remember that building now. It was very spacious. Oh, I I liked it. Didn't I visit you once there? I'm sure. I'm sure there were a couple parties that you uh, attended. Oh, that was a spot. I remember now. That was there were some. There were some good times there. The spot. Um, I had not one of my roommates, but one of the girls who lived in the building part of our LLC. She used to do this thing. Where if you did well, she would tell you you got first place. If you did something poorly, she would tell you you were in worst place. So I'm going to play a little game of first place, worst place. Let's go. For 2020. I'm going to start out with a first place. First place goes to Maya Moore. Not only did she get an award named after her on this very show, but she had a movie-like year when you think about it she dropped her career to help fight for a man's freedom who was wrongfully imprisoned in large part to her efforts he was exonerated and released from prison and then they got married yo that's wild how cool is that that's cool but damn that's wild it's wild It's, it's a roller coaster it will definitely be either a movie or a TV special one day. Like, let's not act like some producer is not going to pounce on that storyline that was written for him. It's already happening. It's already happening. It's already happening. That's that. That's <laughs> that's my guy. Uh, so yeah, first place goes to Maya Moore, hands down. Worst place, Donald John. Trump. That's his middle name? I'm pretty sure, right? Isn't that what the J is? <laughs> I don't care. I thought it was, I don't care. Let's go through all the reasons why Donald John Trump is in worst place you in also, 2020. I just also have to say you really went full government. Full government name. Middle name pronounced. I mean. This is funny. I have no choice. This is fun. Let's go through all the reasons he's in worst place. Number one, he's a loser. He lost. <laughs> Losers get worst place, do they not? No disagreement. No disagreement. <laughs> the worst place version of a loser is a loser who can't accept he lost. And has to cry and scream that the other team cheated or that uh, the game was rigged or whatever it is. The game cheating, so he says. Let's also not ignore 
that he's in worst place because he's a loser who should have won. All of the circumstances over the first three and a quarter years of his presidency were set up for him to win. Stock market was booming. That's real. He was the incumbent with massive access to fundraising. The game's already rigged towards his party to some extent with the Electoral College. He had every opportunity to win. And then a little something called COVID showed up. And had he handled it like an actual president, he still probably would have won. But he decided to spend months when he could have been presidential making sure that uh, this country handled this pandemic as best as possible, trying to convince people it wasn't really real or that bad because he was scared it might damage his chances at (laughs) re-election. People whose job title is literally to be the leader of a country who choose not to lead the country but only hopefully look out for themselves and not even do that right are losers <laughs> who deserve worse place. How else might Donald Trump have gotten worse place for 2020? Could it possibly be that is once again, the leader of the world's most powerful nation with all the access in the world to protection from COVID-19. If there is any person, who should have been the last person to get COVID-19, you would have thought it would have been the president of the United States who has levels of protection that no average citizen has. Right. And yet, this mother got COVID. What a loser. Oh, by the way, was it 2020 where he did this thing where a hurricane was coming to a part of this country and then he drew with a Sharpie marker where he thought the hurricane also was going to hit to include Alabama, thus forcing Alabama to be scared that they had to announce to the public that, like, no, you're not in any danger of a hurricane. You don't have to evacuate. Did that happen this year, too? I don't. It's been been such a long year that I I don't even know. But that's something that losers do. (laughs) Oh, my God. So uh, oh, without, without much further ado, uh, worst place of the year, Donald Trump. I'll give you another, another round of first and worst, but I, I need to collect myself for a second here. So uh, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, well, yeah, let me, let me let you do that. So it turns out I was able to scroll through. And even though it's not Christmas anymore, I've never thought this award to be more appropriate. You much of a Charles Dickens fan? 
Um, I know that he once wrote, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, and beyond that, I don't got much for you. That is fair. What about a Christmas story? The TBS 24-hour marathon Christmas story? I, get, I, don't, I don't even remember what that stupid thing is called. Maybe he didn't write it. I don't know. It's been a long year. But <laughs> the name Ebenezer Scrooge has to mean something to you, right? I know the name Ebenezer Scrooge. Well, for those who haven't been paying attention or haven't read a children's book in a while or watched anything involving Donald Duck and also his very curbbudgeon uncle, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge is a penny pincher. Ebenezer Scrooge swims in money, lives in money, but won't spend money on anybody other than himself. Now, I mentioned, I want to say, two months ago when the World Series, no, actually, it was a month ago, actually, when the World Series was happening, and everyone wanted to celebrate the fact that the Tampa Bay Rays made it to the World Series. Yay, underdog story. Yay, this is great. Yay, maybe they won't have to move to Montreal. Come to find out, two days ago, that the very same pitcher, Blake Snell, that they pulled in game six when they had a one nothing lead, they just flipped him to the San Diego Padres for prospects who we don't know. That team was literally nine outs, excuse me, not nine outs away, close to 10 outs away, 10, 11, 12 outs away from forcing a World Series game seven. And they traded their ace. I'm going to add somebody else to that party because the Chicago Cubs four years ago broke whatever curse they were under and won the World Series. Like they did the impossible and everybody is gone. Joe Madden, gone. Theo Epstein, burned out and retired. They've got some of that core. One of their biggest signings was Hugh Darvish, who was coming off, lighting things up with the Texas Rangers, and they traded him too. Now, we could make this about how the San Diego Padres decided to go big or go home since they have the game's brightest superstar in Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, but that's not really what this is about. We mentioned at the top of the show, that what Major League Baseball even did coming into the season when it came to free agency, guys getting signed for less than what they were worth is going to start coming out huge. And yet these billion-dollar corporations are saying, we don't have it, so we're going to flip it. I will not profess to know what the books are in the same way that I will not profess to understand how much this balances the books. However, we have already made it fully clear that um, one thing billionaires do is hoard money. And one thing that they do is keep it for themselves. Can somebody explain to me how somebody worth 700 plus 
million dollars is not even the he may be the majority owner but how much of that payroll is he fronting and he's crying poor their payroll was the highest it had ever been at 68 million that's nothing Meanwhile, the Ricketts family is worth $5.3 billion. And they're shipping off assets. And everybody's copping pleas for them. I don't understand. Is everyone copping pleas for them, though? Once again, thank you, Shakir Taylor. One of the best things to happen out of 2020. I'm watching some of these conversations where they go, oh, well, you don't know. Uh, they invested a lot of money in this. Uh you know, we we have to assume they're in financial trouble if they're making all these moves. Um, no, we don't. No, we don't. I would hope that more people are paying more attention to the way business owners, especially big business owners, run their businesses, especially for them to come out ahead. But uh, I don't think anybody's really taking advantage of that. So to the Chicago Cubs and the Tampa Bay Rays, you get the Ebenezer Scrooge Award because how... You can have such good teams and refuse to pay for them. What a joke. So the Rays are a different level, right? Because, like, the Rays just, this is just what they do. Yep. Like, the Rays, the Rays are never going to attempt to build a dynasty. Because what the Rays go for is finding the balance of maximizing profit while also putting out a competitive baseball team year by year. But they'll never be able to build a dynasty that way. Because let's say the Rays had won the World Series this year. They make the same trade because it's just what they do. It's in their DNA, right? Like they wouldn't, the Rays wouldn't be suckered into trying to run it back because that's not what their MO is. So like that part of it, I'm less... I'm less surprised about, and like I don't even, it doesn't bother me because I already don't like the Rays because I already know what they do. And what they do is not worthy of fans. Mm. The Cubs is what I want to know about. Because as you pointed out, the the Ricketts aren't billionaires. They're multi-billionaires. <laughs> they got a handful of billions. So I don't, like, I understand if you want to go full rebuild. That's something that ownership and management should be allowed to decide they want to do. You know, the Cubs have, the Cubs have been on a decline since the World Series. Yeah, I mean, getting swept by the Marlins isn't... Uh... No, this year wasn't real. So, like, that, that's, that's not kind the, of you. <laughs> I don't want that's to. Well, it was like, what? You lost a best of three series, two zero. I'm not calling that getting swept. I'm calling that like losing that's a not series. Real. <laughs> if you show me the, a baseball series that was won in two games before, you're right. I, 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 it's, it's not all history. Right. It, right. It's all not right. part. It doesn't deserve to be part of the history of baseball. All right. All right um, all right. 
It's still but funny, though. It's funny. It's still funny. Yeah, it was the Marlins. Um, like, they've been on the decline for four years. I would understand rebuilding. But if you're going to rebuild, don't you have to get, like, actual prospects back? And from what I've read about what the Cubs did, they really didn't even get any good prospects in return for Darvish and Caratini, in which case it clearly becomes a salary dump. And what are billionaires, $5.3 billion net worth, what are you doing salary dumping if it's not actually leading to rebuilding? And this is the part about ownership that drives me crazy. You invested in a billionaire's club, right? Like you... You invested in some exclusive club just because you were able to get a seat in this exclusive ownership club should not come with the promise that this investment will always profit year over year. Like that shouldn't be an automatic. You should be assuming risk like any other investment. If you bought up Millions of dollars of Amazon stock today. And a week from now, the government announced that they're going hard to deregulize tech companies and Amazon stock plummets. You don't get like some pass out of that. I don't get why anyone would accept sports franchise owners just selling off and laying off until they can make a profit again on their team is opposed to accept that, you know what, they have to bear the burden of a loss for one year. Some of those millions upon millions in net revenue you've been taking in each year, You're going to have to give some of those back this year. But you do it for your fans because they're the one who pay your bills in large part in the first place. Done with them. Done with owners. I'm ready to lead a revolution. A (laughs) fan-owned? We'll see. It's time for working class to take on the ruling class. It's time. It's time. The proletariat shall rise. I mean, for real. It feels like we're getting there, are we not? The more and more that it gets exposed, that revolution is coming. That's a deeper conversation. Uh, The question is whether America's ready to to learn the truth about itself for real, for real. You're 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 worst of your worst in first, please, before we go down another rabbit hole to close out the year. I mean, yeah, there, there's been plenty. <laughs> best place is the easiest best place to hand out of all time. Essential workers. Yeah. Like I feel so bad like forget wanting to say thank you to a lot of these people i feel so bad for anyone in the middle of march who had to show up to run a grocery aisle or show up to work a drive through 
or show up to deliver packages or whatever it might be when there was so much uncertainty about what was going on. Like, I I remember if we were to go back to early March, I, before my restaurant shut down, I asked my managers to not schedule me Mm. for a while until we sort of saw what was going on. And... At the same time, I sort of said to them that, like, I also didn't feel great about the fact that my coworkers were going to be going to a restaurant to work because the fact of the matter is this business doesn't pay for health care for anyone. This business, like, this business doesn't protect us if nobody shows up tomorrow because everybody's scared about having the virus. Like if nobody shows up, we showed up to work and took ourselves out of the home for two thirteen an hour. Like, so why should anybody be putting themselves out there for a job that does not have any protections for them, especially in the circumstance of a pandemic and I just know how I felt in that moment. So I can only imagine how anybody who actually was forced to show up to work and all they got out of it probably was a dollar pay raise of hazard pay or $2 of hazard, like just best place to all of you for keeping the rest of us going and hopefully Hopefully none of, you know, we know some people ended up getting the virus and passing away because they were essential workers. But hopefully as many people came out of it as possible feeling okay still. Okay. Uh, worst place, human nature. Ooh, bridge. Human nature bridge. takes a major loss in 2020. I don't even know where to start. But. Tell the truth. Just do it. Tell the truth. And maybe I should reserve this to American human nature. Because it sure seems like humans of other populaces were less prone to some of these things than we were. But. The amount of indulgence. That so many of us felt deserving of Hmm. in the midst of a pandemic. Like, why why can't you just stop yourself from doing what is clearly the wrong thing? You just answered your own question. I'm sorry. You you just answered your own question. (laughs) Whether it be glamorous vacations popping up on the social media in the middle of a pandemic, 
whether it be people we heard of uh, having destination weddings in the middle of a global pandemic and asking their friends and family to do the same, Uh, whether it be people who decided that I need to go to bars every single night. It's who I am. It's part of my social fabric. Whether it be shouting, open up the economy. When it was not yet safe to do so. COVID showed... Really, COVID, more than anything, was just like this disease that came along and just showed us all, over and over and over again, the worst in each other. Way more than it showed us the best in each other. Because the fact of the matter is, when adversity strikes, it's a lot easier to earn worst place than it is to earn first place. And the number of people who acted in a worst place manner instead of a first place manner over the past nine months. It's just a big L for human nature. You said it better than I could. It's... uh... It's so frustrating. And it's really, really frustrating because it should be obvious, right? You look all over the world. Life has actually gone back to normal because people had a clue. And even for the people who did not have a clue, governments did not enable them to continue their idiotic behavior. Like it's it's just going to make me mad. So, what I'm going to do instead to cap off the year is throw it back to I think to date still my favorite award of the year that I have given. I don't really give myself credit too often or at least I try not to. But this was actually sort of a stroke of genius. And I wanted to share that particularly because I feel like as she has returned to the forefront, uh, I think we've forgotten about why we were so upset about Doja Cat in the first place. Now, it's going to it's going to sound like I'm just trying to rain on her parade or just be mean or whatever. But I I'm really not because I want it to really be understood what happened and why her returning to prominence so quickly like she's doing new year's eve like she's been performing and stuff like that it's like wow it's amazing how forgiving people can be there are a whole bunch of intricacies about that statement that i'm not gonna go into on this program but uh if i had to pick an award i actually like to give you the most this year Here it is. 
I remember in our off-air conversation, you mentioned that for AAU travel and things of that nature, you would watch Chappelle's show in the in the backseat on the way to tournaments. Isn't that correct? That is true. Nothing better than a ride in Dan the Man's Toyota Sequoia. Do you remember episode number one? Uh, do I remember, what's his name, Cletus? Sort of forget or somebody else's Cletus why why am I forgetting the man's name but yes the the uh the black white supremacist the black white the blind black white supremacist yes of course who can forget the one and only Clayton Bigsby put a pin in Clayton Bigsby stick a pin in that because we found out last week that Doja Cat who is herself a mixed woman oh no black father white mother was hanging out in subreddit white supremacist chat rooms. Oh, no. And literally talking smack about black people. I saw one anecdote on Twitter that said, that talked about an exchange between two friends because one friend used to work with Doja Cat. And one friend told the other, one friend told the tweeter, hey, listen, Doja Cat done like black people. They're like, yeah, <laughs> whatever. You know, she just doesn't like, like, no, 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 you understand. She doesn't like black people like cops don't like black people. And he's like, oh, that's that's inflammatory. So I find it very fitting to give the one and only Doja Cat the Clayton Bigsby Award. How are you this bad to one side of yourself? And people made excuses for it. She gave some sort of weird ranting apology that I clicked on, listened to for five seconds, and I said, this is ridiculous. But yeah, I've said all I need to say. I mean, your reference game right there was strong. (laughs) The the reference game could not have been better for uh, the situation that we have seen unfold with Doja Cat, who, quite frankly, I I still don't, I, I really don't know who she is and how she got famous. (laughs) <laughs> or like any of her songs. I know I've seen her name on the radio. I can't attach what song it would even be with. Oh, so here's what's funny. A little background. Um, that song, Say So, was just remixed with Nicki Minaj like two weeks ago. Was uh, was like number one, I think, two weeks ago as well. So that's super awkward, number one. Number two, she also raps and uses the N-word a lot. White supremacist, you you use the white word, you use that word a lot. Wanna be white woman? I've peaked. I don't think I don't think the reference game has been quite as good ever since. Oh, that was a fun one. Uh you inspired me to give out one more round. Let's go of best place. And worst place. You close it out because those are the only two I had. I'm done. Best place to any internet troll who is willing to waste their time going down like Twitter timelines like nine years to find the uh, to find the relevant piece of information they need to expose imposters to society. Like, that's a dedication level that I appreciate, and I appreciate it because it gives us moments like this because worst place of 2020 goes to Rachel Dolezal-level cultural appropriators. 
We talked about Jessica Krug back oh, in September, right? Oh, man. I totally blanked on that. You remember her. Oh, of course. This was also from a prior show. Sold my fucking neighborhood to developers and gentlemen. <laughs> so I got a couple of things to say. And when y'all come on and tell me my time stops, fuck out of here. It's been seven hours. Not only did I have to listen to these cops, and not just the cops, but to be honest with y'all, city council members, you posing like you're opposing them for your sound bites, for your social media, for your re-election campaigns. Fuck out of here. You've been supporting the cops in the pandemic when the MTA was strapped and you supported putting more cops on the MTA. Fuck out of here. We know where you're oh. coming from and we know what these little photo opportunity bullshits are. Uh, I also want to call out all these white New Yorkers who waited four hours with us to be able to speak and that did not yield their time to black and brown indigenous New Yorkers who thought that their sense of, I thought cops was here to protect us, but I guess they're not. Boy, you think that this sort of like shock and empathy thing is the move. Okay, so a couple of things. You was talking about chair council. Nah, nah. <laughs> they thought she was from the Bronx? <laughs> Yo, f out of here. <laughs> yes, she was she was the white George Washington University professor who had been pretending she was black for however many years. You know, she and wasn't she like teaching about like black history? Yes. At GW. She was yeah, a yeah. full <laughs> She was something. I she was can't. something. We got a new one though who joined the uh cultural appropriateness nah, club. No way. Have you have you been following this uh Alec Baldwin story? What? No, I have not. His his wife, Ilaria Baldwin. Has been pretending to be Spanish this whole time. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. No way. You can't keep doing this. No you can't way. just keep. You can't keep leaving the microphone every oh, time no. you can't handle the news I'm trying to deliver to you. I could not go as far this time. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Nah. Hilaria Baldwin. Wait a second. Wait. We a have all. Wait a second. What? Yes, she. Uh, she had identified as Spanish. We've known her as Spanish this whole time. Is somebody who grew up in Spain and came to America when she was nineteen to go to college. Uh, at NYU. Except this week, somebody went on a big Twitter, I guess, expose, shall we call it, exposing that Alaria had parents who lived in Massachusetts until at the very least she was of college age. That her mother worked in, I forget which hospital, but one of the main Boston hospitals for like 25 years. Um, that her ancestry 
can be traced to America pre-Revolutionary War, that her paternal side, I believe, grandparents were from Nebraska, and then her high school uh, classmates started showing up to the Twitter chat and uh, producing yearbook photos of her going to a private school in the Boston area under the name of, I believe it was Hillary Towns Thomas. Meanwhile, she has uh, been Hillary Hayward Thomas, excuse me. Meanwhile, among the uh, laughable things that came up sort of in this Twitter thread are examples of her weaving in and out of her fake Spanish accent and her true American accent doing a like live hit on the Today Show in which she's showing somebody how to cook a certain recipe or something and she pauses to ask the host, uh, what is the uh, English word? And the host reminds her how to say cucumber in English and then she goes, ah, yes, cucumber. Wow. Wow. And yet she's she's currently hanging on to the grift. She's trying to frame it as if she lived back and forth between both. Uh, because her family did move to Mallorca, it appears, once she went to college. There does not seem to be any record of her growing up in any portion of her life in Spain. But she seemingly adopted some Spanish identity. So, uh, worst place, for sure. She did it again. When are these? When are these people gonna realize? I, it's just not oh gonna work. Oh my god! <laughs> what? Yo. How many of her high school classmates knew this and didn't say anything for so long? That's kind of what I want to know. Yeah, that's a good question. I think the like Twitter expose showed that somebody back in like 2012. Oh, no, yes, that, that is right. That's right. As, as far back as 2012, Alec Baldwin had a stalker and the stalker tried to call it out. really (laughs) oh man Uh, this has been a fun i i encourage you to just like take 15 minutes once you have it to just find some some background on this because it's it's a good laugh this is this is oh like come on people this isn't gonna work the things i'm sorry but the things white people get away with is crazy it's really crazy. I mean, it brings me to the most important question I can pose to you. If I am going to have an identity crisis and decide that I'm not good enough. No. Who should I try appropriating? No. Indulge me. There is no answer. No. None. <laughs> not even going to indulge No, you. not even close. You are way be- I will not stoop you. You will not stoop to that level. You are way better than that. Way better than that. Like, are you kidding me? that's something that like a child does 
right? Like, I remember there was this girl I went to middle school and high school with, right? Okay. She moved from... I forget if it was, like, England or Australia. She moved from one or the other to America. But, like, she had originally been in America and then had been in England or Australia for, like, a few years. Nothing too long. She showed up to middle school talking like an American. And then we got to high school, and all of a sudden, she went through, like, a goth phase, but was still speaking with an American accent. And then by our sophomore year, she had like gone cosmopolitan and all of a sudden had a foreign accent again. And it was just like, I mean, I feel bad for you that you are trying to find your identity and like that. It's something that we struggle with as young people, but you're not fooling anyone but at least like that was like a child still right right like is this just some like dare don't want to hate using the term but i'll go ahead and use it like Uh is this just like some gold digging celebrity chaser who decided the only thing that was going to set her apart is if she somehow had a spanish accent So it feels like they've also had like six children in eight years, which is always a scary sign. That's a lot at once. Yeah. That's like kind of robotic level of having children. That's a rabbit hole. And he's a very old man. That I'm not even going to entertain that. Cause that, oof, I, I wouldn't dare. I would not even dare. But wow. Uh, I guess our overarching moral to the story is be yourselves and stop being weird and stop being mean. Stop being weird. Yeah. (laughs) Come on. That'll help. And look, there's everyone's some sort of weird. Everybody is. But let's, this is ridiculous. If you're from Nebraska, be from Nebraska. You're from Kansas. Be from Kansas. And I'm not picking on the Midwest either. It just so this happens. This girl's from Massachusetts. Yeah, if you're from Massachusetts, be from Massachusetts. If you're from Boston, be from Boston. Like, seriously. Eh, but maybe be less from Boston than most people <laughs> from Boston are. Find a happy medium. Or the people that want to be from Boston are. Um, <laughs> Any final words before we sign off of this roller coaster? calendar uh, year i i'm at a loss this <laughs> ilaria baldwin oh man was sort of the icing on the cake i think we all needed for what has just been the strangest of strange years <laughs> i am truly hopeful that 2021 brings us uh some better times. I'm certainly hopeful that January 20th is uh, the beginning of that, that we can get Mr. Cheeto out of there. <sighs> yeah. And that, you know, 
I don't have wildly high expectations for the governing to improve. Me neither. But just like the ability to relax a little bit more, hopefully, leads to some better things, gets people just headed back into a better direction. And I guess my closing thought on the year, because you were talking about just a few minutes ago how other countries either their people figured it out on their own what they had to do to help fight against COVID or the governments just forced it upon the people and the people accepted it in those countries. My challenge to Americans for 2021, we are a nation that loves to talk about being patriotic and loving our country. I think our view and our uh, picture of what patriotism is has gotten totally warped and we need to correct it to stop thinking about patriotism in terms of what I do and start thinking of patriotism in terms of what we do. Because patriotism is supposed to reflect on a love for the country and every single one of these citizens that make up that country. And uh, we've gotten into a habit of thinking, I'm more patriotic than my neighbor. And that's not how patriotism works. That's how patriotism fails. Wise words from a wise man. And now we're done. Here's how you can keep up with the show. Well, first of all, I can't believe I jumped in without saying thank you (laughs) for sticking with us, for subscribing, for reviewing. This has been a journey to call it an understatement. The good news is, God willing, we're not going anywhere yet. This is not the season finale. It's only the year finale because, I mean, we can't really control the calendar. So before we go, we might as well give you the chance to hear how you can keep up with us after all. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Award Tour Pod. You can also find me personally on Twitter at Brian Albin Life, Brian with a Y. And you can find Unqua on Twitter, Instagram, underscore I am Unqua. That is capital I, capital A, capital N. Da, 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 da. As always, you can also subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts hosted on Anchor, where you can leave us a voice message if you want to be a part of this show. But wow, 2020. See you later. I don't know what to call 21. As we have seen, no one's saying 2021's my year. Uh, nobody's even jumping in with both feet. But uh, I do know this. We're glad you're along for the ride. And we'll see you on the other side. Deuces. Deuces.